Number five. Matthew five. Matthew five. Matthew chapter number five. We're only going to read one scripture from this particular chapter and then I'm going to skip over to another chapter and combine these and we'll see what the Lord says. Matthew chapter number five. Bless God for all that are here, the minstrels, fivefold ministry gifts, my wife. Bless God. Matthew five. I want to put our attention upon verse number six. Verse number six in Matthew five it says the following, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. I want to take that thought and let's go now to John 6. Gospel of John, chapter number 6. Gospel of John, chapter number 6. We're going to put our attention upon verse number 30. Gospel of John, chapter number 6. We'll put our attention upon verse number 30. Are we ready? Verse number 30 says this. They said therefore unto him, What sign shewest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the bread, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he that which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that come unto me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I want to put our attention as we continue to journey on these different revelations of Christ. We understand them in the context by which the scriptures gives them to us. We want to put our attention upon the Christ as being formed as the bread of life. But for um, recording purposes, we're going to use as our title, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to eat better. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, get that plate right. Get that plate right. Get that plate right. Get it right. Get it right. Get the plate right. Hmm. 
One of the most undiscovered teachings that I believe is very, very clear in the body of Christ, very, very clear in the Bible, but for whatever reason we choose to ignore it, the teaching about appetites. There are plenty of proverbs, there are plenty of psalms, there are plenty of examples that talk to us about how, how needful, how useful, and at the same time, how detrimental your appetite can be. And so when you start looking at it from the scripture perspective, I think it's important for you to understand that the appetite is something needful. A lot of the times, for whatever reason, we teach it in the context of when there is something that is needful for us, but yet we have to be taught as to how to control it. One of the things that happens is we teach it in a way that makes people not want to actually own up to it. So, so for example, when we start talking about controlling your appetite, uh, for example, in 1 John chapter number 2, it says that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, those are appetites. And so a lot of the times what happens is for our lack of wanting to deal with it, we leave the members of the body to their own devices as to how to handle things when they arise up. And so because for whatever reason we choose not to address these particular issues, what happens is we become evasive in how we teach it. So we don't teach how to handle it. We just teach, don't deal with it. Just don't deal with it. Don't deal with it. If it tastes bad, it's bad. Don't deal with it. As a matter of fact, cut it off. If your right arm offended, cut it off. If your pinky toe a finger, cut it off. Not doing the due diligence of the scripture to understand that every single appetite that you get comes from God but it comes from God and it is trapped inside of a body that is temporal and so what we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to educate our members and educate our bodies so that we would know how to have the proper appetites so when we start looking at appetites, there are a plethora of appetites. We know that we have a mental appetite. There are people who are just hungry for knowledge. They long for knowledge. They want their soul to be, they want their mind to be filled with knowledge. And then you have emotional appetites. People who just long to be successful. They want to be uh, uh, filled emotionally. They need to always have validation. They need to be uh, always felt good about themselves. And they don't like to be lonely. They need to be loved. Uh, and then you get to the point where you have that bodily appetite. Oh, glory to God. That bodily appetite that we all know about. It will drive you crazy. That bodily appetite will put you in positions where you will do some stupid stuff to then cure the appetite of the body. There are a plethora of appetites. And so when we start talking about them, one of the things that we don't deal with enough is the spiritual appetite. 
We talk about so many other things and we don't deal with the spiritual appetite. And so what happens is when we don't address the spiritual appetite, what people begin to do is people begin to run away from the sources or the realms that are supposed to feed them the spiritual appetite or supposed to minister to that appetite. And they begin to go on a journey to look for other things to supplement their hunger. And so now you have the power of Scientology. Now you have the power of New Ageism. Now you have the power of these newfound spiritual movements that are manifesting. And they're only manifesting because we as the body of Christ are not taking the proper approach to teach how to properly deal with spiritual appetites. And I think sometimes I, I believe that even when it comes to how we teach about this, I think that our teaching is outdated. And I think that our teaching is outdated so much so that what happens is when people are not receiving the necessary nourishment that they need from the body of Christ, that's what leads them out of the body. And they begin to go on journeys to try and find other means to satisfy this appetite that they have. It starts off real small. It starts off by saying, I'm going to be a church member that views church online. Because then what happens is I have the ability to choose what I get to listen to. I have a plethora of choices. I can scroll through the World Wide Web, click on whichever one is live streaming, and then whatever one appeases my appetite, that's what I am going to click on. Tend to go a little bit deeper, what happens is when that begins to not satisfy you, because what not is taught is the power of coming to church is not just to come to church to hear the word. The power of coming to the church is the unification of the body. That's the power of gathering. The power of gathering, you can hear a word on YouTube. You can hear a word on Facebook. You can hear a word. There are thousands of podcasts that are in the world that can teach you the word of God. That's not the issue of coming to a body. The body's assignment is to feed you something that nothing else can feed you. The body's assignment is to feed you to make sure that you are fed with encouragement, to make sure that you are fed with empowerment to make sure that you are fed with the uh, the power of accountability these are the things that the body is assigned to do and when we begin to model our churches around the new testament book of acts church we will begin to see that more people will begin to migrate to the church and less people will start going out of the doors it's because though the leader has an appetite that is not prescribed in the word of God that causes the people and that causes the churches to not be set up in the model that the book of Acts tells them to set it up after. So you got thirsty leaders who want the opinions of people to be right. You've got thirsty pastors who want to be fed their egos to want to be fed. And so what happens is they're the only ones that can preach. I don't want to deal with this. They're the only ones that can sing. They're the only ones that can prophesy. They're the only ones that can pray. If the word don't come through them, it ain't no word. It's just an opinion. This is what's happening. And because those things are happening, the appetite that is being cured is the leader's appetite. But that leader's appetite now is releasing a desire upon the people to want more. I'm going to walk through this. I ain't going to let you rush me this morning. 
So when we start dealing with this appetite, the definition for appetite, I want you to write this down. The definition for appetite is a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need. So the thing that I want you to understand is that the appetite manifests himself in ways that we call hunger or what we like to call hunger pains. Okay, I'm going to get to my point in a minute, but I want to lay this foundation so that you can understand how these cravings manifest themselves. When there is a longing for something, when there is an urge to fulfill something, that is an appetite. Say appetite. It's a strong desire or a lacking for something. And so a lot of the times what happens is you have appetites that begin to manifest because somewhere along the line that appetite is not being fulfilled. That hunger is not being fed in some capacity. And one of the things I'm learning as I study this book is no matter what your appetite is, the body of Christ is the solution for all hunger. It's going to make sense in a minute, but I want you to understand that the body of Christ is the solution for all hunger. No matter what you're hungering after, no matter what you are have an appetite for, the gathering of the body and the power of Jesus being preached is the cure for every single appetite that you have. There is no appetite that you can come up with. There is no hunger that you will have that cannot be cured and handled by the preaching of Jesus Christ and the power of fellowship look at your neighbor and say preach Christ and fellowship it's a simple plan but it's so simple that we are evasive with it because when you preach Christ superstarism is counseled no one can get the glory no one can get the credit no one can get the honor no one can get all of the accolades but him and when you preach Christ the way that it's supposed to be preached what happens is that appetite turns into passion turns into passion can I go a little bit deeper so now let's deal with this. So now here's the thing that I want you to understand. I want you to write this down. I want you to make a t-shirt out of this if you feel like it. But I want you to write this down. Every human is driven by some type of appetite. Every human is driven by an appetite. I don't care who you are. I don't care your age bracket. I don't care your experiences in life. You and I are driven by some type, some form of an appetite because there is something that we long for. There is something that we desire. There is something that we want to have fulfilled. Say fulfilled. So now here's the thing that I want you to understand. I want us to be delivered from the mindset of understanding that there are some appetites that are bad. I want us to be uh, uh, advanced to the place of understanding that every single appetite that you get from God is good. The only problem is, is that if you don't handle it God's way, the appetite that you have that is supposed to fulfill you and supposed to grow you, that appetite will become your worst enemy. So like, for example, let's go ahead and deal with this. When you are single, let's go ahead and go there. When you are single, glory to God, and your body has an appetite to have it fulfilled, I need for you to understand that is not of the devil. God gave you that appetite. 
You need that appetite to fulfill the mandate that is upon your life. But the problem is we, the church, consider that type of teaching tabooish. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about the reality that you're at home and your body has an appetite. Not because you're lustful, but because you're human. So one of the things that we got to begin to understand is that when we have these appetites, I want to declare unto you that there is a prescription in the word that deals with every single appetite. There was a way to handle your bodily appetite. There was a way to handle your emotional appetite. Everything is there. And what we've got to do is start pointing people towards the bread. It's going to make sense in a minute. The bread of life. The bread of life. So now let's deal with this because I want to show you an angle, okay? We read in Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 6, the beatitude that talks about those that thirst and hunger after righteousness shall be what? Say it again. Say it one more time. So therefore, here's the thing. You, I want you to write this down. Your appetites have to be directed. I want you to write that down. Your appetites have to be directed. In other words, what you've got to learn is that you've got to possess the mindset. You've got to learn how to tell your appetite what to go after. Okay? Because one of the things I want you to understand is that when you start dealing with appetites, you have the power. Jesus said it. He says, all those who thirst and hunger after what? Righteousness. So that gives us an indicator that we have the power now to tell our appetite what to crave for. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. When you, listen to me, I need a nutritionist in the building. Somebody gonna help me. Help me, Miss Zena. When you train your body to eat processed foods, your body does not crave anything that's healthy. It does not crave fruits. It does not crave vegetables. It does not crave grains. It does not crave barley. It does not crave any of those things. The only thing it craves for is Burger King, McDonald's, Krispy Kreme, Chick-fil-A, oh glory to God, Zaxby's, Chipotle, all that good stuff. That's the only thing that it craves. But the way that you decrave your body from wanting those foods is you go on what you called a fast oh my god and you take your body and you say body this is the last day you're gonna eat a big mac with extra fries oh my god this is the last day that you're gonna eat this this is the last day that we're gonna get these waffle fries we're going to pull back and i'm going to retrain you on what to want so it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. When you are finding yourself with your body going crazy, there's nothing wrong with that. But you've got to tell your body that body, this is not the appropriate time for you to hunger after this. So I'm going to direct this energy towards something different. This is why Paul said, when you're single, give yourself unto the Lord. Give yourself unto the Lord. Let yourself be fully engaged into the Lord. And this is why he said, when you're married, your body don't belong to yourself. It's time to give up the goods because your body don't belong to you. Because when you do so, you stifle the appetite of the person that you're connected to. And when you stifle that appetite, you open the door to have that appetite for field in other places say we need the bread 
I'm getting to my point in a minute, but we need the bread. We need the bread. I want you to understand that the bread has the power to take whatever appetite you have and direct it towards where it's supposed to be because you're not eating anything physical. You're not eating anything that has substance in the natural, but what happens is when you partake in this bread, when you partake in this manner that comes from heaven, what happens is your body begins to be altered by the power of the source that it is eating after. Can I go deeper? So now let's look at this. I want you to understand something. Write this down. 1 Samuel 1 and 3. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time, but I want you to write this down. 1 Samuel 1 and 3. Now, here's the scripture that I just stood unto you to write now. It says, and in those days, Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And then it says, and the word of God was precious in those days. And there was no open vision. It's on the screen. Glory to God. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. When you start talking about processing how to deal with your appetites, I want you to recognize that your appetites and the thing that you crave will only, your body will only go after what you consider to be precious. What you have a high value for is what your body will begin to crave. What your soul will begin to crave. When things have a high value, that is when your body, your mind, and your soul, and your spirit begin to then have an appetite for it. Am I making sense so far? So the thing that I want you and I to be understanding of in this season of our life is that it is needful for you, it is needful for I to put ourselves in a position where what we do is we allow the word of God to become primary and precious. We allow the word of God to become primary and to become precious because the more you feed yourself the word, the more you're detoxing yourself from other things that you long for. The more that you're detoxing yourself from the thing that you've eaten in the past and the more you neglect your body from those things, the more your body will begin to move away. The more your mind will begin to move away. The more your emotions will begin to move away. If you ask anybody how to break up with a person, the number one thing that you cannot do is keep talking to them. If you want to get over a person, stop talking to them. Stop seeing them. Stop texting them. Stop emailing them. Stop Facebooking them. Why? Because what you're doing is the more you talk, the more you speak, the more you look, you are feeding that appetite. I don't care if it's one second or one hour. You are feeding that appetite and you are causing that appetite to linger. You're causing it to linger. So now, here's what we're going to walk in. Jesus is having a powerful conversation in John 6. Because he's just got through giving revelation about the resurrection. He just got through revealing a part of God that they had never seen before. And so now in John 6, there now is an action. Say action. There is something that is going to manifest that is going to be very powerful as it relates to what we're experiencing in this conversation of Christ. So before we get 
to him explaining himself as the bread, we got to lay a foundation for the conversation. So here's what he says. In verse number two of John six, he says, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. When you start talking about hunger and you start talking about appetites, I want you to understand number one, that God is after your appetite. I want you to understand that, that God is after your appetites. I want you to write that down and I want you to highlight that. God is after your appetites. So now in understanding that, I want you to see the power of what we're looking at. In verse number two, it says, And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them which were diseased. And then in verse number three, it says, And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Before we get into that, I want you to see what happens in Jesus and the multitude. Jesus fed their visual appetite. Because they had saw the miracles that he had performed previously. And the miracles that he had performed previously gave them an appetite for something that they had never seen before. So now on the other end of the spectrum, I want you to see this too. Because of this miracle and because of the healings that took place in these people who had diseases, Christ now gathered or developed a whole nother realm of influence. Say influence. Now last week we talked about building and one of the things I want you to understand, you cannot build if you have no people to put in the building. Whatever it is that you're building, you must have occupancies to have in the building. So when you start talking about building, before building comes influence. Listen to what I'm telling you. It's all spiritual and it's all linked to the revelation of Christ. Because what Christ did was Christ came with the kingdom. Say a kingdom. He came with the kingdom and in the presentation of the kingdom, he taught the kingdom and when he taught the kingdom, that gave them an appetite. And then when the appetite was manifested, he then showed them the ways of the kingdom. But before he could show them, he had to give them an appetite about something that they never seen before. Say influence. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. I want you to understand that when you begin to operate with an appetite that is going after God, that goes after something great, I want you to recognize that God will give you influence when you have an appetite to produce things of the supernatural context. What happens in verse number three, it says, and it's the verse number two, it says, and the great multitude followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on them, which were who? Disease. Those who could not heal themselves. Those who did not have the power to get rid of the sickness on their own. What happens was Jesus healed their diseases. And so because he healed their diseases, great people began to follow after him because he gave them an appetite to recognize that there is a supernatural realm that supersedes your physical condition and so what I want you to understand is that in this moment of your life when you begin to have an appetite to produce the supernatural God will give you influence say influence 
when you've got the desire to operate in the supernatural to operate in things that are not normal to operate in the things that do not come from this earth then what God will begin to do is give you influence if you're going to begin to walk after the similitude of Christ you must understand that what you're building is not already here you've got to pull it from the heavenly realm you've got to pull it from the spiritual realm and in order for you to pull it there you've got to long for the supernatural say supernatural you've got to long for the supernatural you've got to thirst for the supernatural you've got to hunger for the supernatural enough with coming to church reading the word of God singing praise songs and going home that's to stir up an appetite for the supernatural say supernatural I want something that money cannot buy. I want something that humans cannot give me. I want something that cannot come from any place other than the heavens. Supernatural power. Come on, say, I want the power. I want the power. I'm going to give you an appetite for the power. You're moving into a season where the other ordinary just won't do. The ordinary just won't do. The same, same old won't do. The same old, same old won't do. I need some power. I want power. I want supernatural power. I want multi-moving power. I want disease-healing power. I want earth-shattering power. I want disease-curing power. I want cancer-removing power. I want the power to change nations. The power to change systems the power to change economic systems the power to come up with the science to do with what God has assigned for me to do supernatural power supernatural you've got to have an appetite for the supernatural when you have an appetite for the supernatural God will begin to send people and when God begins to send people he will begin to do what? Use you for his glory. The problem that you're not experiencing is that you're not hungry enough for the supernatural you are allowing life to tell you what to do and how to do it. You accept too much. You let life dictate to you too much. But if you understood who was on the inside of you and what resided on the inside of you you would never take a day of subparism in your life you will never take a day of ordinary in your life ordinary cannot do I want the supernatural supernatural it ain't magic it's power it is power it is power it is power so he gave him the supernatural and what happens is people begin to follow. So then in verse number four, it says this. And the Passover of feast of the Jews was near. Then go to verse number five. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, whence or where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Here is the power behind what I just read to you. Jesus, because he sees that they are following after him, because of the diseases that he has healed, they follow him into a desert place. Notice though, no one asks for food. 
Not a single person told Christ we're hungry. Christ was the initiator to help them to understand that you have a need for something that you don't even recognize. And so here's the power behind walking with Christ. It's when you walk with Christ, what he will begin to do is he will begin to point out stuff to you that you need that you don't even recognize is needful for you. He'll begin to bring stuff to your mindset and he'll begin to whisper to you and say I need you to go after this. And you're saying God, why in the world are you directing me to study this trend or to look at how this works? And you don't understand that what God is doing is God is developing an appetite. Say appetite. He's developing an appetite in you so that when that appetite is fulfilled, now you've got the power in you to begin to now provide solutions to what it is that everyone else has the appetite for. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. He gives them the food. He says, hey, listen, you need food and you don't even know it. But notice, notice why he brought the food up. Verse number four says it was the time of the Passover. The time of the Passover was near. So for you to understand why he presented this ideology to them at this moment is for you to understand the power of the Passover. Simply put, the Passover took place on the night Eve before they got ready to, Israelites got ready to go out of Egypt. And so what God told them to do was they say, listen man, what I want you to do, Moses, I want you to go tell them to kill that lamb. And when they kill that lamb, if the neighbors don't have one, let them borrow one of yours. Oh, it gets deep. Because he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the death angel through the camp. And when the death angel comes through the camp, he's killing the firstborn of every single thing. But the way that you keep yourself from being killed, the way that you keep your sons, the way that you keep your flocks from being destroyed in this time that I'm going to send the death angel is I want you to have that lamb's blood painted on your doorpost and when he sees the blood he's not going to stop at your house he's going to pass over your house and go to someone else's house so here's the power behind what Christ is teaching them Christ is teaching them the power of celebrating deliverance Oh, y'all don't want to hear this because the church is gotten too cute. We don't want to talk about deliverance. We don't want to whisper deliverance. We don't want to utter the word deliverance. We want deliverance to be nice and cute. Lift your hands and receive deliverance. No, 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 no. See, what you've got to understand is that when you are delivered from something, that means you have to fight for your freedom. You had to war through something. You had to process through something. And what God told the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, it says this day will forever be a memorial so on this day next year you're going to celebrate the Passover because I want you to celebrate the day I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and the thing that I want you to understand is that you've got to feed yourself you've got to have an appetite for celebration you've got to long to celebrate you've got to have a desire to celebrate and not to celebrate anything but you've got to have a desire and an appetite to celebrate your deliverance 
Let me help you understand how this works because you're looking strange. So let me help you. The reason as to why you need to celebrate your deliverance is this. When you get delivered from something, it is a milestone because that thing had you trapped. It had you entangled. It had you bogged down. It had you in isolation. You didn't even talk to your family members. You couldn't think right. You couldn't operate right. You couldn't look at life the same because it had you in bondage. So Christ said, when I come and deliver you, I want you to always celebrate deliverance. Say deliverance. I want you to always celebrate deliverance because when you celebrate deliverance, what it does is it gives you an appetite for the next deliverance. And the reason as to why people only get delivered from one thing is because we teach that deliverance is a one-time occasion. But you've got to understand the calling is not to be like Moses. The calling is not to be like David. The calling is not to be like Nehemiah. The calling is not to be like Peter. The calling is not to be like Paul. The calling is not to be like Jude. The calling is not to be like Jeremiah. The calling is not to be like Joshua. The calling is not to be like Caleb. But the calling is to be like the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And because that's the calling, the assignment of Jesus is to continue to deliver you, to continue to take you out. So he'll deliver you from one thing, he'll let you breathe for a minute. Then he comes back four months later and says, now let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. I want to pull this out now. You rested on that deliverance. And so what happens is, when you're worried through deliverance, the power that heals you is that once you understand that God delivered me from this, that means I got a hunger to know that God ain't through delivering. If he got me out of this, he's going to get me out of that. And if he got me out of this, he's going to get me out of that. You've got to celebrate your deliverance. Come on, say celebrate it. Celebrate it. You want to have a party to recognize when God delivered you out of something. When he took the bottle from your mouth, you want to have a party. You want to put it on Facebook. This day last year, I was drinking my life away. But this time this year, I'm delivered. I'm set free. I don't do that anymore. And you've got to learn how to celebrate it because it gives you power to keep going. It gives you power to keep going. It gives you power to keep going. I never understood how we work. We celebrate people's death. But we don't celebrate the life that's given to us. People get dreadful when it's time to celebrate their birthday. Because they start looking at what they have not accomplished. And they look at how old they are. But I want you to understand that God is not on your timetable. He don't care how old you are. He don't care what you missed. He don't care what you have not done. The Bible said that he has the power to redeem the time. That means he can make up any lost time. He can take back what you didn't do. And he can make it all up. He can make it up quickly. So here's the thing. You and I have to learn how to celebrate our deliverance. When you don't celebrate your deliverance, you develop an unthankful attitude that tells yourself, I was supposed to come out. 
But see, you don't understand what the enemy had you in. You don't understand the grips that he had upon you. And when you, if God will allow you, Pastor, to see what you were experiencing before he stepped in and before he invaded, if we were to be honest with you, neither one of us really wanted deliverance at the first time. We enjoyed where we were. We liked where we were. It tastes good to us. It felt good to us. The only reason why we needed to know that we needed deliverance is because he came to us and we tasted something different. And when you tasted something different, then that lets you know that you needed deliverance in something else. So here's what we got. I want you to understand that he feeds them because the appetite for deliverance will continue to be stirred. So then in verse number 10, I'm almost through. Verse number 10 says, and Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, that don't seem like a lie. That don't seem like nothing at all. But here's the thing that you don't understand. Jesus has taken thousands of men from their homes, from their jobs, and they are following him based upon something that they tasted. Their appetites are different now. And they've tasted something different. So what he tells them is this. I'm about to feed you with another level of fulfillment. But for you to get this level of fulfillment, you've got to sit down. I fed you with the miracles. You saw that it was different. Now I'm going to feed you with the bread that comes from the supernatural manifestation. But I need for you to understand for you to eat this bread, you cannot eat it the same way you ate the last time. The last time you stumbled upon what you tasted. This time you got to willingly take the bread. Oh my God. You've got to willingly taste the bread. And doesn't that happen with some of us? Most of the time when God finds us, he takes us, he delivers us, he brings us out. And we just like a little baby, God, take me out. But then when we start experiencing a little grownness in the spirit, now he has to come and say, listen, I'm not going to take you out this time. Now you've got to willingly want to come out. You've got to willingly want to have a desire to come out. I don't need the desire to be big. I just need this much of a small desire. So I need for you to sit down. Say, sit down. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. Verse number says, Jesus says, sit down and sit down. Here is what happens when you are fed right. When you are fed right, be obedience is not a problem. Obedience is not a problem when you're fed right. So if you're struggling with disobedience, I need for you to check what you're eating. Because when you eat right, you obey right. You don't hear what I'm trying to tell you. When you eat right, you obey right. When it's time for my son to eat, I ain't got to beg him to sit down. I ain't got a war with him to sit down because he knows that daddy is about to provide a meal that I am hungry for. 
So he gets his own table. Y'all don't want to hear what I'm talking about? He go gets his own table. He gets his own chair. And he sits there with anticipation saying, Daddy, I'm ready to eat. Y'all don't want to hear what I'm talking about? So when you're fed right in the previous state, no one has to beg you to sit down and eat from the table again. You automatically recognize that this table is feeding me. This table gives me something that no other table can give me. I'm almost through. So here's where we get it. When you're fed, when you're fed right, and you allow Christ to feed you from the bread that comes from heaven. Verse number 11 says this, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, which is an indicator that everybody wouldn't send down. There were people in the company who did not choose to obey. Because they never would have specified that they gave it to those that sat down. You don't want to hear what I'm trying to talk to you? So I want you to understand that the distribution of the loaves are only for those who are obedient to the command. I need you to understand the power of grace is there. The anointing of grace is there. But grace is to coach you to, dis to obedience. Grace is to empower you to obey. Mercy is to empower you to obey. I believe in the new covenant. I believe in the covenant of not by works, but by grace. But I want you to understand that there was a grace that God gives you and that grace causes you to obey and when you obey then you get the distribution of the loaves and he is able to feed you at another level and the problem that we experience most of the time is we're trying to figure out God why am I still eating at the same level why am I still eating right here why am I not going up and the problem is not the bread the problem is in the perception of what's being fed and the perception is being altered by how you are following his commands when you obey God your perception is totally different your viewpoint is totally different obedience produces confidence I want you to write that down obedience produces confidence when you obey you can go unto the Lord and you can go to him in full confidence recognizing that whatever he says and whatever I ask him for he will give it but when you don't operate in obedience what happens is you have to war from the reality of saying will he do it or won't he do it maybe he will maybe he won't he might do it today he might do it tomorrow why because your confidence is shaken it's not God that's the problem it's not his will that's the problem it's not his love for you that's the problem the only problem is that you and I sometimes when we operate in disobedience do not have the confidence to believe that he'll do it in spite of and you struggle with it he struggle will he heal me or will he won't maybe he'll do it today maybe he'll do it tomorrow you know what the word says the problem is not the word, the problem is your confidence. And your confidence is altered when you do not obey. Am I talking the truth here? When you follow what God says, you, there's absolutely nothing that you don't think he won't do. 
But when you kind of iffy, iffy with him in your mind, I'm iffy, iffy with him. You know how them little bootleg believers kind of, Pastor, you pray because I believe he'll hear you more than he hear me. I look and say, what tomfoolery are you talking about? He'll hear you with the exact same way he hears me. The problem is confidence. They don't have the confidence. So here's what I got. You know I ain't going to get through. You already know. So let me get to what I wanted you to see today, and we'll get through on Tuesday. So in verse number 11, he distributes it to those who are obedient. And so here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this in verse number 22. And then we'll highlight this revelation on Tuesday. And we'll get specifically into the bread. Verse number 22 says this. And the day followed when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save the one wherein to his disciples were entered and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat but that his disciples were gone away alone. Keep reading. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaus, Capernaum for one reason. They were looking for him. They were looking for him. And what happens when you start eating from the bread of life is that no other bread will do. So the song that they sung this morning about searching all over was so prophetic. Because what it does is it highlights the reality that when you taste of the bread of life, when you taste of that bread, it conditions your appetites to want absolutely nothing else but that bread. You don't want any other bread but that bread. That's the bread that talks to you. That's the bread that feeds you. And so now let me, let me do this because I sense this in the room. I want you to recognize, people of God, that there is no other bread that can compete with this one. And what happens on your journey, sometimes we taste other breads that may alter our palate. Spiritually speaking, it may feed us a temporary satisfaction. And when we have that temporary satisfaction, what happens is our palates are being altered to the point that, that bread tastes sweet for a season. Listen to me. It tastes sweet for a season. For only a season, it tastes sweet. Only a time period, it tastes sweet. And so then what happens is, 
when their season of it tasting sweet is up, there is now a hunger. There is now a hunger for the bread that you tasted when you got delivered. And the difficulty, though, is sometimes it's hard to find. This, this understanding about the bread, Jesus being the bread, is so powerful. It's so widespread. Because what it does is it looks at every appetite that you have. It looks at every one of them. And Christ says, I can feed you in that. I can feed you there. I can feed you there. I can feed you over here. There is no appetite that you can produce that Christ cannot feed you in. And one of the things I think that I'm sensing is that there is a there was a need for there was a need for confession and there was a need for renouncing. Because a lot of the times what happens is we use other methods and we use other means as a substitute for this bread. Because this bread is transformative. And a lot of the times we know that this is the bread that I need. But what we do is we substitute it. Fame. Power. A false sense of authority. All these things we use as an alternative to think that it's going to supplement us and feed us at the level that we believe we need to be fed. And here's the power of it. I'm not going to even lie to you. I'm not going to even lie to you. It will feed you for a season. It will feed you for a season. It will. But what happens is, once it gets done feeding you, once it gets done feeding you and empoisoning your body, the gratification of it wears off. For example, haven't you ever found yourself, this is just me, maybe I'm just foolish, but haven't you ever found yourself like eating something that you know is bad? And you like, it's like, this ain't even good for me. And you instead of eating it, the taste don't even taste the same no more, but you instead of eating it. And then you say to yourself, I ain't going back to that bread no more. I'm through with that. Through with that. I don't want it no more. And then about four days later, the same thing that you said you would never eat again. Welcome to Burger King. May I take your order, please? <laughs> with cheese. Heavy mayo cut in half. Hot off the grill. And can I have my fry with no salt? Y'all know how you do it. Why does that continue to happen? Why does that continue to happen? It's because what it does is when you eat that bread that's foreign to the bread of Christ, it conditions you to want it even when you don't want it. 
There are mechanisms that are put inside of this food that makes it addictive. So even when you don't want it, your body craves it. And it don't even taste good. Don't roll up in there, don't let them make that sandwich right. I vowed that I would never ever go to Papa John's ever again. I got sick when Papa John was in America. This is old school. I got sick. So I'll never go to Papa John's again. It took seven years. When I finally moved back home to Albany, I went to Papa John's again. And I said, God, how can I be so stupid? I'm looking at the calorie intake. I'm seeing the grease on the box. I'm looking at all this stuff. I said, God, why keep eating this? I'm just standing eating my four, five, and knocking it down. Why, God, why? And in that moment, he taught me something that I will never, ever forget. He said, you don't want it, but your appetite is controlling you. And you're not controlling your appetite anymore. And so I believe that even in this room, somebody is being controlled by their appetite. They're tired of it, but it won't stop. They're tired of it, but it keeps going. They're tired of it. They don't want to do it anymore, but it keeps going. I want to release a word over your life today that will free you mentally from the abuse of a number one calling yourself a failure. That's number one. Because the assignment of that braid is to psychologically teach you that you can't overcome it. And if it teaches you psychologically that you cannot overcome it, what does that do? That kills the lifeline that you have to God. The only lifeline that you have to God is simple. The just shall live by faith. And when you don't have confidence... You don't have faith. Just stand to our feet.